Hey everybody, this is Jay Shear, Executive Director of the Reclamation Society and the host of this podcast. Today we're discussing the controversial Deadpool film released in February of 2016, and as always, we're going to explore what the storytellers are telling us is true. Those storytellers, in this case, are Tim Miller, the director, the writers, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, and the movie's lead actor, Ryan Reynolds, who, based on my understanding, was very involved in the storytelling aspects of this film. Even more to the point, we're going to explore what the movie indicates is true about spirituality, violence, comedy, and much, much more. Joining me on the podcast today is Tim Posada. Tim is a journalism professor and film critic who is currently doing his dissertation on superhero films. How cool is that? He offers some great insights on this particular film as well, so we're really glad to have him. Before we get started, I just want to mention that the Reclamation Society is a nonprofit that's supported in part by generous donors. We're very thankful for all of our donors, and if you'd like to support us, even if it's just donating $1 a month, you can do so at www.reclamationsociety.org. We thank you in advance if you choose to do that. I also want to mention that if you have any audio equipment that you'd be willing to donate to us, uh, particularly better microphones, but all kinds of audio equipment that could be used in recording podcasts, uh, we would love to have that. So if you can donate to us, um, that would be fantastic. This month's podcast was a little tricky because some of my equipment wasn't working as well as it should have been. So I apologize in advance if the audio quality is poor. I tried to fix a bunch of it um, in post-production. And hopefully it sounds good enough. But if you do have any audio equipment that you can donate to us, we'd love to have it. Last thing, uh, we enjoy discussing movies like Deadpool with folks like you. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on the movie. This movie and whatever other movie we're talking about. This podcast is for you as much as it is for us. And we want you to have a voice. If you'd like to give us your feedback, please head on over to www.reclamationsociety.org blog. And then just find the Deadpool podcast post and comment. We'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're going to be asking questions, and we'd love to hear your answers to those questions as much as we'd like to talk about that ourselves. So with that, let's go ahead and get started and have a discussion about the truth that can be found in Deadpool. One more comment I want to make just before we ask the first question this will this podcast will have spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, definitely go ahead and pause this, stop this uh, podcast, and go and watch the movie first, and then come back and listen to the podcast. Unless for some reason you don't care about spoilers. Uh, we try not to get too involved in spoilers, but if you're exploring the truth of the movie, you really need to dig deep. And so this this podcast does contain spoilers. You have been warned. The first question is, what are the storytellers telling us is true, in this case, about sentient beings? So obviously, when we're dealing with superhero movies, we usually say sentient beings instead of human beings because we're dealing with mutants and aliens and superheroes and all these kind of things. In relationship to this question, we have specific topics we're going to cover. Before I go to the next topic, I know you're super familiar with the superhero world, and obviously you're doing your dissertation on superhero movies. Have you been a Deadpool fan for a while? I can't really entirely claim that because as far as the character, as far as like the comics of his I've read, it's only been a very small handful. Um, I mean, the movie to me did, from the few uh, comics I've read of his, really did capture um, what the character is all about, so... I was excited when they heard that they were doing this film and that they were going to be making it rated R because it meant they got to 
kind of have a little bit more freedom with the project. So, but for the most part, there's a lot of other people who are know more about him than I do. Yeah, and, and I have to confess that I think I've maybe seen Deadpool in the comics. Just despite being a comics fan, I've just uh, never really gotten into Deadpool specifically. So, I, like you, this is my main exposure to Deadpool, and like you, I've also heard that it's a very um, accurate portrayal of him from the comics. So I will admit that I am not a Deadpool subject matter expert. So if, so, if somebody else out there has some comments on what, what I'm referring to in this movie, uh, feel free. If there's any discrepancies between the movie and the comics that clear some of these things up that I don't know about, then yeah, let us know about that. The next topic area I think does dive into uh, a lot more depth in this film specifically, and that is the concept of um, two things, the aspect of vanity, but then in the more deeper sense, um, the concept of identity. And so what do you think that the storytellers were telling us is true about vanity and identity? So when I looked at that uh, topic, I was very, uh, it felt like it worked really well with who Deadly is. I mean, this guy is a very cocky guy. Uh, he's very full of himself. Uh, he is not humble at all. He's very, I mean, and he's a very, it's obviously he's played by Ryan Reynolds and he's a very handsome man. I mean, in the opening credits, he's introduced, I believe, as uh, God's perfect gift. I think that's his opening credit name. <laughs> and then and later on when he's talking to Blind Al, they, he makes some offhand comment about like, come on, it's not about the acting. And he said something like, you think Ryan Reynolds got as far as he did because of his good acting? Please. So there's definitely a lot of stabs at vanity, and that seems to be a part of who the Wade Wilson character is. And that's ultimately uh, what gets him in trouble with the mad scientist, uh, with Ajax, basically. Like, uh, he ends up, like, this is so engraved in who he is that he ends up losing, I mean, basically that beautiful face because of, uh, because of that, uh, because of his emphasis on that in some way. Yeah, 100%. And I felt like the movie was sort of um, saying the same thing. And it was, it's kind of an interesting take on it because he has this overriding fear that Vanessa will think that he's ugly. Like he's so fearful about it that he does, he won't even approach her after the surgery. Like he's just mortified by this, this concept. So, so literally the person who he has the closest relationship with in the world that he doesn't want to lose. Um, he's unable to kind of go back and, and speak to and talk to. And uh, I do feel like that when it comes to this, this um, relationship between vanity and identity, that he has a loss of identity because of his vanity. Once he loses that, it's like he loses everything. And he loses, so that then it's just like, I have to get revenge for this because this person has basically taken everything from me. So it's, an, it's a very interesting take on, on the topic of vanity in, in today's modern world, which I think is actually a pretty important topic for the modern day. I mean, how many times do we see people taking selfies on, on Instagram, right? Like, it's mm -hmm. just a thing. It's just a thing. Um, so how did you feel like that, like the, the truth of it, how did it impact you personally? Well, I mean, to me, like, well, I mean, he just seemed very consistent across his character the whole time, especially even before like the mutation happened, because like he still didn't um, want her to see him like after he got cancer, he was like, no, like cancer's a horrible thing. He just kind of wanted to vanish into the night. And yeah, I mean, the way I'm kind of like looking at this would be like, 
what does that look like in a for better or worse situation in a relationship? You know, there's always that question um, when you're when you're dating somebody and when you eventually get married, will you be next to that person if something terrible happens to them? And so there, there's definite resonation there. And I'm pretty sure my wife might have turned to me once and said, like, that happened to me. Would you uh, would you stay by me? <laughs> and you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I felt the exact same way. Like, it, so in comparison to other superheroes, it's sort of an odd choice, right? Because it feels fairly shallow as a motivator. I mean, you have in comparison, you have like a Batman who loses his parents or Superman who loses his planet and his family. However, I did come away thinking, you know what? This is actually a character that is far more relatable because I don't think most of the human population at this point in time, and at least in the United States, has had their parents die in front of them, killed by by some a criminal in the streets, right? But we all have a sense that our identity has been rocked in some way, shape, or form. And when our identity is rocked uh, by something, whether it's vanity or something else, something that we are holding on to, maybe it's our athletic ability or our, our intelligence, whatever it is. Um, simply getting older. Yeah, simply getting older. Absolutely. Like, And then that can be very difficult for us to relate to others when we don't have a strong sense of identity ourselves. Which I thought was which I thought was a really good way for them to bring about truth that kind of we can all relate to. Right. I also agree with you that if you are Vanessa, it does feel like a huge warning sign to me because it's kind of like, man, if you put so much emphasis on your own looks, like what are you gonna think about with like as we get older, like you mentioned? What about how I look as we get older? What's going to happen there? So it is. it did ask a, a lot of good questions in that regard, which I thought was very cool of the filmmakers to tackle that subject. Yeah, I think, but you're right. It's definitely a one-sided conversation as far as that discussion goes, because, yeah, what would have happened to her? Right. Like, if it lived her um, good looks, would, would that still matter for him? Yeah, yeah. It's, and, and the movie kind of doesn't even touch that, but... So on the next topic, uh, and this is kind of a topic you can almost address with every superhero movie, but this one, it actually addresses it directly through the relationship between Cyclops and Deadpool. And that's this, this concept of being heroic. So mm-hmm. what, what, did you, what was your take on what the movie told us was true about being a hero? For the most part, this movie definitely would probably say that super, being a superhero is a tool. Like, mm. that is a fool's errand, and especially with how it ends, where uh, you've got Colossus saying there's only five moments in your life that make you a hero, like sparing an enemy's life, and then Deadpool shoots him in the head, Colossus starts laughing, and then Deadpool says, if being a hero lets this guy live, then it's not for me. And I just go back to, when I think of that, the entire debate over, should Batman kill Joker? Because by letting him live, you were also giving him the opportunity to once more kill again. And that's, um, that's a big ethical topic. Like for Deadpool, even in like that moment, it was obviously a very vengeful moment, but also there is something pragmatic about that kill because this guy would definitely kill again. This guy would definitely start up what he's doing again because he has no emotions um, as a character. So he has no way to ever learn from anything to stop doing what he's doing. And he never showed any remorse for it. So on a very practical level, by not letting him live, um, the world is a better place. Yeah, that's a really great point. And I do believe the storytellers are telling us that 
look, being a hero is sometimes it's almost sometimes like you, you have to get your hands dirty. Like it doesn't work with Superman just being out there and saving everybody all the time. I think there's also this component where, I mean, Wade himself keeps telling us that he's not a hero. And I think that, like you said, he is a hero. He's just not the kind of hero we expect. You know, he's not like Cyclops where he has a set of standards and he wants to adhere to all these standards. He's not like Captain America, which is sort of similar, like we're going to do things the right way. In this regard, he's almost more like Wolverine or Batman, but then taken to the extreme. Yeah. Where it's kind of like, we just need to get the job done. Doesn't, no matter what, doesn't matter. One of the things that I really liked about this take on a superhero was that he is a hero, but he's a hero to the marginalized in his uh, society. So in other oh, yeah. words, yeah, because like he's not he's not out there like saving grandmothers crossing the street, but he is out there trying to have justice for prostitutes and criminals who even though that they may be living a lifestyle that is not ideal, they still need justice in some way, shape or form, you know, mm-hmm. he is an anti-hero, but he's also related. He's also able to relate to people in society that like Superman's never going to relate to. Yeah. And bottom line is by the end of this film, he's taking down a criminal network that was enslaving people more specifically, a criminal network that was enslaving vets, basically. That's a pretty, like, that's a point that's definitely brushed over in the film. Uh, it's just not the focus of the film at all. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely true. And I do think, too, I mean, it mentions there's one line in there, and again, I don't know Deadpool very well, but there's one line in there where it says that they kind of just throw it in um, without any sort of indication of backstory or why this is, but he was dishonorably discharged from the military, from the special forces. Yeah. Yeah. And so that made me think like, well, this is a guy who, who understands the people who he's trying to save. Whereas some of the other, some of the other folks, uh, some of the other superheroes that we see around us, they have no clue what the common man experiences or why the common man experiences those things. And so I think he has a better perspective. Yeah. I also picked up on that on that line that you picked up on, which is really fascinating that, um, you know, you really only need four or five moments to be a hero. And I also felt like that rings true in in our society today, because I think a lot of times we're looking for people to sort of be perfect. And if you look at a lot of our heroes, you know, it occurred to me um, with the uh, the passing of Muhammad Ali Here's a guy who has significant achievements in his life and yet was a very polarizing figure at times and was, oh, yeah. you know, um, you can make an argument that he's incredibly arrogant, but, you know, he really only needed those four or five moments of being a hero for us to consider him a hero. So it seems true. I'd see that seems like a true thing that we experience in our culture today. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, okay. So now we get into, um, uh, something that's pervasive throughout the movie and that's the um, topic of, of violence. And so there's several different categories of violence. The first one, uh, violence against women and the movie's take on violence against women. What was, what did you see um, coming out of that? It's kind of a, that one's a little bit kind of back and forth. You've definitely got uh, Colossus who is very much against it. Like in the middle of fighting angel, 
her comics name, her full name is Angel Dust, uh, the former MMA fighter, and I'm blanking on the actor's name. Um, but in the middle of their fight, um, her top falls down and he like all of a sudden turns away. And so he definitely does not want to be in that fight. He doesn't shy away from the fight, but after their fight's over, after an explosion happens, he's saving her and Negasonic Teenage Warhead at the same time. So Colossus is still this kind of very old-fashioned kind of dude in the fights. And then there's the other moment where Deadpool's uh, fighting these two women, calls one of them a spider monkey when she comes out of nowhere and gets on his back. And then he says, I don't know, the rules are so, so confusing. And it looks like he might kill this person, but bottom line is this film never shows a woman get killed. And so that's a starting point on this. Uh, women are the, and women are pretty much the only ones saved. That's a good pickup. I didn't actually even notice that. And I don't think that this movie is, is really taking a stance one way or another per se, which, which is sort of like what this movie does on, on several topics. It brings up the topic and then kind of just says, you should probably make your own decision about this, but um, we're not going to tell you, we're not going to, at least we're not going to preach to you about what you should or shouldn't do. Like, like you mentioned, it's almost like, okay, well, we're, we're fighting these women out, out of self-defense and we're not gonna we're not gonna take a stance for or against um, even doing that. Uh, but we are gonna bring up the question like what is it, like 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 he does in a very funny way actually is he's kind of like just saying what's the what is the standard on this right now? Like it's just so hard to know. And I thought I thought that that was uh, actually probably a pretty good way of handling it as opposed to ignoring it altogether, which a lot of movies do. Because it is a tricky subject. So, and what's your what is your take on how it handles it? I it doesn't see. I mean, it, it handles it very humorously. It doesn't seem to really take a stand. I mean, you've got Colossus's point of view, you, and Deadpool's is still kind of up for grabs. It would seem. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of it. I think this film, more than anything on a lot of topics, never quite takes a stand and covers. It brings up a lot of things and then just kind of moves on past them with the whole like, ha that was clever thing about comedies too, because in Deadpool very much, it's an action film, but it's also a comedy mm-hmm. and comedies have always been pretty kind of effective at pointing out something, but not always very good at like coming to a conclusion. I mean, it doesn't need to, but I mean that this one definitely does to me, doesn't seem like it comes to a conclusion. Right. And I think so. So recently, obviously, in our in our current culture, it came up that um, you heard the report about the the X-Men apocalypse billboard controversy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I think it's a tricky subject. Right. Because and, and I have to say, going into this particular topic, I'm definitely not an expert on this topic either. There's there's no doubt in my mind that violence against women is wrong. I think what what happens, though, in this in a superhero movie like this we want to portray uh, strong women. And in superhero mm-hmm. movies, superheroes fight. It, it becomes tricky because I think what you want to do is you want to look at multiple components of strength, uh, not just physical strength, but mental strength, emotional strength, like all of those kind of types of things. And in this type of movie, you're, all, you're almost always going to ha- find them fighting or they're just going to sit by the side and be a damsel in distress almost like super, uh, Spider-Man right. might handle some of their, the women in their uh, movies. So I, I don't think that they, uh, they do, do think that they avoid answering it, but it seems appropriate given the context that they find themselves in. 
Right. Now, and I will say this, like, we've got four major female characters in this, and all of them are pretty, like, powerful women in their own ways. You've got, yeah, Vanessa, even though she has no superpowers, uh, she doesn't sit on the sidelines and screams. The moment she gets captured, she starts cussing them out and, like, doing all the same kind of things that Wade Wilson would do. Right. Uh, you've got Blind Al, who was a pretty memorable character, too, and, again, not a damsel type of character. Yeah, the characters are still like, none of them do you look at and go, oh, they're there just to be saved. And that is all they are there for. Right. Um, and obviously, like, I, I will say that this movie is is very funny. I, there were multiple times where um, I was laughing. My wife, uh, who was watching it with me, was also laughing. And she's pretty conscientious of, of violence as comedy or whatever. Like, she, she, she's pretty more sensitive to it than I would be. So violence... And the and it and, and using violence as comedy is sort of central to the movie, a central tenet of the movie. Uh, what was your take on that? Yeah, it's definitely and I, it's hard to even call what happens in Deadpool. I, I guess it's dark humor in some ways. Uh, what's going on here? Because yeah, we are laughing at violence. I mean, when the guy slams into that like highway line and his body flattens you're just like so shocked that it happens i mean there's a lot of really effective shock value with the humor i mean you've got deadpool cutting off somebody's head and then kicking it like a soccer ball into somebody else it's all it's all handled very differently than you would see the violence handled say even in maybe a lesser violent film like the dark knight You've got The Dark Knight where they don't focus on the violence, but it feels like a much more brutal experience because whenever there's death, we're supposed to look at that death and be kind of horrified because, you know, it, that movie definitely puts more of an emphasis on the sacredness of every person's life. Yeah, and I think, you know, cartoons have used violence as comedy for ever since cartoons have been around, you know. The, the Three Stooges going back decades um had used violence as comedy um i think for me there was a, a moment where i i did have to stop and ask myself specifically the one you mentioned where the guy's body kind of falls off the freeway sign and i did have to kind of cringe and, and even though i was laughing throughout the violence there was a part of me that was going i wonder if i should think about this kind of more like the way you described the nolan movies like, is it, is it okay to laugh at this? So it, it was an interesting, it's an interesting take that I, that they obviously handle it well because you do find yourself laughing, but it is almost like a, a cartoon. It's almost like you're watching a cartoon. Oh, absolutely. Which then kind of transitions into a good, um, and this is kind of a good segue into the um, topic of extreme violence. So what were you, th what do you think that they were telling us is true about extreme violence, and then what's your take on that? I looked at the extreme violence as kind of a branding opportunity for them, like as a way for Deadpool to be separated from the pack of superhero film. Really, like for me, I saw it just like from the filmmaker's point of view as a way to like for the film to be just edgier. And I think one of the things that it does that I think is um, that does speak to truth is that it. Obviously, it's treating a lot of the violence with comedy, but if you take the comedy out of it, I mean, this sort of violence does exist in the world. 
we don't really go a month of the year without hearing about, you know, whether it's an ISIS thing or whether it's a civil war somewhere, this violence is, it exists. It's out there. I, I did think there was a really great podcast. I'll, li- I'll, I'll put a link to it. When I post the podcast, I'll put a link to it down below, but there's a really good podcast, the uh, boiled leather radio hour or audio hour. They were talking about how violence is treated in Game of Thrones and comparing that to how violence is treated in The Walking Dead. And I had a similar reaction to the way that Deadpool uses it. I do think you're right in that it that it uses it to differentiate itself and it uses it also to be in alignment with what like is in the comics. But the one thing I found a little bit uncomfortable, and, and the guys on this podcast really brought this out in, in a really good way, if you contrast Game of Thrones with The Walking Dead, both shows are extremely violent. The Walking Dead, its perspective on violence is not only that to, in order to survive, survive you need to be violent, um, but it actually sort of makes violence heroic in and of itself. Whereas Game of Thrones, on the other hand really suggests that violence is awful. And even when you see an evil character that you just hate die, um, they, they never romanticize it. It's always like, you always leave the scene going like, oh, I, I know he needed to die, but that was, that was kind of bad. I do feel like that they didn't do enough to say that violence, it, that violence is bad, especially in this extreme. The moral core of this film is kind of deranged. Because the character is kind of deranged uh, in many ways. And so I think the issue is that, like, he doesn't, there, there, are, there is no backlash for the actions he's taken, for all the lives he's taken. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that brings us to the last um, kind of topic in this, in this question set. And that's the relationship between comedy and tragedy. So tell, talk to me a little bit about what you thought that storytellers were teaching us is true about that, and then also your your own take on it. This is, um, Deadpool is an origin film, and like any origin story out there, um, it's always based on some type of trauma that has occurred. Because, As we mentioned earlier, you know, Bruce Wayne, uh, he loses both his parents. Uh, Superman loses both his parents and then an adopted parent. Uh, mm-hmm. Spider-Man loses an uncle. Black Panther loses a father. Uh, Tony Stark is kidnapped, um, almost killed. Uh, even the trauma of Captain America is um, just how kind of frail of a human he was. Like, he was born into just, like, I mean, just because of bad genetics. And so for Deadpool, there's that part. I mean, and definitely when he's turning into Deadpool, when he's being tortured in that chamber where he's basically being suffocated and his skin's mutating, I mean... That's not a funny part of the film. There's no jokes there. There's a, maybe a sarcastic line, but it's a pretty serious moment. And even the fight that immediately follows it with Ajax, uh, it's not funny. It's a very, very dramatic moment. I mean, a lot of the, uh, there's a lot of kind of tonal shifts like that throughout the film. And a lot of critics have pointed that out and said, Deadpool tries to be edgy, but in actuality, it's just like any other superhero film. I would not agree with, I think people are kind of, making those moments a little bit too important, but they are there. There's definite tragedy in that. I mean, even though 
like losing how pretty you look isn't like the greatest motivator. I mean, the dude was tortured over the course of a weekend. And that's a pretty, pretty awful experience. I mean, he went through a worse, he went through a worse deal than Tony Stark did. Right. So, um, so it's definitely there uh, in the film. I mean, I, as far as the comedy versus tragedy, then, I mean, the funny thing about it is that even though these horrible things happened to him, the one thing that did survive, despite what Ajax said, was his sense of humor. And so as far as the comedy versus tragedy, this one is quite literal of, and like in its interpretation of that. So this tragic thing happens to him. He still maintains that super sarcastic part of himself. Yeah. And I, I actually really, I really appreciated what this movie had to say about comedy and tragedy, because I think, I mean, tragedy is a part of everybody's life. You know, to my knowledge, there's nobody that has uh, been able to be immortal, right? So we've all dealt with people around us dying or people around us getting really sick or what, what have you. And I do think that there is, I do think that this is a, um, a tightrope kind of to walk because on the one hand, I think you can really turn uh, when you, when you go to comedy to deal with, with, with grief or tragedy, you can, you can really hurt other people who may be grieving something or maybe, maybe mourning something that you're like making jokes about. But on the other hand, um, I do think that if we just let ourselves um, sink into despair for the rest of our lives, and not be able to find any sort of comedy, even amidst uh, our, our grieving or our uh, the tragedy that we've experienced, I do think we do ourselves a disservice as human beings. And so there's a sort of like, okay, how do you balance that? Um, I think that the movie takes it too far sometimes. Like I thought that the moment where he and Vanessa meet and they're sort of trying to one up each other on what they've, how the horrors that they've experienced, that moment for me was a little bit of a cringeworthy thing because um, I felt like they were making light of some things that were a little too intense to be made light of. However, in large part, I think the movie actually does a really good job of bringing comedy to situations that they need some, you need some levity in those moments. Cause if you don't have the levity, then, then you, you might as well die immediately. Right? Like he's, he, he gets, he gets cancer and then it's kind of like, okay, well, but they joke about it a little bit. And, and is cancer something to joke about? I mean, my mom had cancer. My mom passed away from cancer in 2012. And I would have said to you that um, there were moments where it was necessary to make jokes. It, 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 you couldn't go through the whole thing just crying and being completely miserable. So I like the way that it treats it, but I do think that because it's being pretty aggressive with the way that it treats it it did step over the line a couple times for me personally any other things about comedy and tragedy uh no you kind of hit it i think that's always the challenge is always like with any comedy i mean it's like a comedian when you're listening to him and it's like for some people it's like oh well, that was too far for our others it was like oh that's so true it's a very subjective thing and yeah there's been plenty of comedies where i've been like oh yeah, that's totally true. Okay, cool. So that, that breaks up our first section. So our first section was all about how the, what the movie is telling us is true about, about human beings uh, or sentient beings. Um, we are going to talk a little bit in this next section about some more of the of related topics. 
But now we're going to look at what are the storytellers telling us is true about relationships. And so there's there's a there's a you know a number of different relationships that come up in this movie. Um, I probably have too many of them listed, so we don't need to go into super uh, detail about these. But I'll just throw out a couple of them, and you can respond to the ones that kind of stood out to you. Um, we have the relationship between Wade and Vanessa, between Wade and Weasel, uh, between Deadpool and Colossus, and then Deadpool and Negasonic Teenage Warhead, and then some more some bigger topics maybe that we can dive into a little later are sort of the relationship between um, diversity versus the majority. Uh, and uh, X-Men has always, and Marvel in general, has always done this really well as it relates to, to sort of like the mutant population and the rest of the world. Um, and then we can also get into revenge and, um, and then also the difficulty of connecting with those who aren't necessarily like us. So just go ahead and popcorn around. What, what do you think the storytellers are telling us is true about these relationships? Um, yeah, definitely the most fleshed out relationship would that be that between Wade and Vanessa. Um, it seems like when I watch that, it's a very kind of equal partnership. They're both very similar. That whole sequence at the beginning of the film, right after they first get together and start having sex, I mean, for International Women's Day, they try something very different. <laughs> And it's a, you're seeing that like they're a very really experimental couple, and there's something very unique about that. Now that's actually pretty in line too with uh, the way Wade Wilson is presented in the comics, because he's not a heterosexual character in the comics. Right. Uh, he's kind of his own thing, and they can sit, can continually kind of make that a whole part about who the character is, and so even here you see that a little bit. But I mean, for the most part, that's kind of what I noticed about that relationship. When it comes to the other ones, like Wade and Weasel, I mean, it's a pretty, it seems like a pretty realistic relationship. There's, there's, I mean, they're friends, they're close friends, but at the same time, they're close friends to a point because Weasel's not going to go join him and go fight. Uh, the Deadpool and Colossus relationship seems pretty antagonistic on the one side. And, I mean, the Deadpool and Negasonic Teenage Warhead one is, it's playful, it's him, like, it's a funny commentary on, I think, what a lot of people think about millennials. You got this indifferent, uh, basically, kid that he looks at, and he's, like, begging for her approval, because somehow, since she's younger and tweets, she's tapped into what's still hip. But that's kind of, that's kind of it, as far as that relationship goes. Yeah, I think you. I think you. You covered a lot of those really, really well, um, and, I, and I saw a lot of the same things. I, I did think that um, that the relationship between Wade and Vanessa, in particular, does show us um, the need that I believe all human beings have for a sort of community and like in, uh, uh, some depth to your community. And I don't think Wade has that necessarily in any other relationship, so to speak, because even his relationship with Weasel is pretty, pretty surface level. I mean, they, they probably have been through more in the comics than I'm aware of. And so the movie probably doesn't dive into some of those things, uh, maybe more like a uh, uh, Matt Murdock and uh, what's Matt Murdock's foggy. Yeah, foggy. Yeah. Um, kind of more of that relationship. But I, did, I do think that the Wade and Vanessa relationship does kind of dive into his whole motivation. And I think that, that rings true. I mean, we need to be in relationships ourselves. And I think, and it doesn't, doesn't mean it needs to be a male-female relationship. I mean, some of my guy friends I have deep relationships with, and that's great. 
Um, so I think we need community around us. We need depth to our relationships and that's showcased in the weighted Vanessa relationship specifically. I, I agree with you hundred percent. I, I liked the way that Negasonic Teenage Warhead and Deadpool interacted because, and I do think it's accurate too, because there's a way that he can relate to her that like Colossus never will. Um, yeah. And I think it's kind of cool to have those types of relationships. I mean, we can have those types of relationships in our in our in our lives right now. We can have the sort of dad figure who's kind of like, "Hey, stop doing that! You're going to ruin your life." And then we can have the sort of crazy uncle who's out there, kind of saying, "Like, yeah, but you need to live a little because otherwise, you're going to have a pretty miserable existence if you just do do what your dad says." So I kind of like the the balance there. I thought that was kind of cool, and I like the fact that Colossus doesn't really ever give up on Wade. So he's, he's definitely disappointed in him, but he doesn't treat him like, like he never turns Wade into the villain, which I thought was he's cool. He's more like disappointed with him. He's like, come on, dude. Yeah, very much so. So I thought that was, um, I thought that was really good. I like that. I like the way that, that they, in fact, I had heard um, on some other blogs and stuff, people that they didn't like the way that Colossus was portrayed but personally, I thought it was great. I thought it worked out really well, especially in relationship. And I'm, Colossus is a, is a character that I'm a little bit more familiar with. So I'm not exactly sure why there was kind of an outrage against that. But I, I thought it was okay. It's He's very prudish. And I think that's probably what people didn't like. Or maybe they didn't like the recast. Mm -hmm. They offered the other guy, um, the original actor who played that role. He was originally offered that role and he didn't want to do it. And so Fox let the director, Tim Miller, recast the role. And so, but that take on uh, Colossus is not the same kind of character we've seen in X-Men 2, 3, and Days of Future Past. Sure. It seems more in line with like the old 1990s X-Men cartoon. Yes, yes. You know, he's got, he's complete with the Russian accent. I always remember from the old, do you remember him in the old cartoon? Oh, I used to love that cartoon. Yeah, it was the best. Yeah, I always <laughs> remember him yelling out, Ileana, like running after, I think he's, I think it's a sister. <laughs> he's pretty prudish that way too. And this, this Colossus talks just the same way. Yes. So it, it felt more like that. I mean, obviously because he looks more like that. And much more towering figure, and especially the crew, like the hair, even looks just like the comic book too. Yeah, and I thought they, they I thought that they actually needed that in this film. I thought they needed um, your after-school special character, so that so that they could at least um, present a counterpoint to Deadpool's behavior. Um, and it's yeah. not to say that one of them is a hundred percent right and the other one's a hundred percent wrong. It, like, like I think, that, but it's a good balance to have in the film. Yeah, it shows you that there is, even though Deadpool's doing these horrible, horrible things, there is still a moral center out there. Right. Uh, there's still X-Men mentality that exists. It's just not going to be the direction our protagonist goes. Exactly, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about um, the concept of, like, uh, I'm using the word diversity. And what I mean by that is, is um, I'm not trying to take a stance on that. What I mean by that word is that there is a people group, in this case, mutants, who are not like the majority. So what do you think the movie is trying to say about that in, a, in both the movie's context and in our context? So for me, when I look at it, it seems there it's there 
the background as an assumption. So in the first moments of the film, you see Ajax like threaten this guy. And as he walks away, the guy goes effing mutants. And so that clearly establishes that we are in that same universe where mutants are around. And there's still that kind of same, in this case, it's not fear, but like disgust with them that has kind of been throughout all of the X-Men films. Uh, but I think more so it's very much in the background there. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think it's, it's in the background, and, and I like what's, the way you said that, too, because it allows us to enter the world without having to develop some sort of huge backstory. Because we yeah. know, we know, we're all fans of this stuff. Like, we know that, the, that there's, a, there's tension between the mutants and the humans. I don't know, would you say mutants and humans, or would you say mutants and non-mutants? I guess you just say mutants and non-mutants. Homo sapiens and homo superior, I believe, is the terminology they use. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. I think that it shows up uh, a little bit more, and this is not about mutants specifically, but like I said earlier, like the marginalized. Like there's there's definitely this kind of concept that there there is this other world out there that's probably nice and rosy, but in this world, it's not nice and rosy. Like you could go to... Um, X-Men's School for the Gifted and, and, and you probably have a, night, a really nice room to sleep in but we don't have nice rooms where we live. So I kind of like that, 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 that somebody's willing to say, yeah, the world actually doesn't look like you know, the 90s after school special um, where you're watching like uh, Saved by the Bell and everything looks really great. There's actually a, another part of this world that's a lot more grimy. I like that I had to say that. I like that, I like that it brought that up. So I'm going to go ahead and this is a big topic in the film. So what about revenge? What was your, what was your take on what the film was telling you? And then kind of how you respond to that. I mean, this is straight up a revenge story. And uh, the, all, the debate always like, when I look at this story, I'm looking at it in the same way as um, uh, like take V for Vendetta. Hmm. Like you've got this whole story where the guy's entire like plot is about, about revenge the question becomes just because it's about revenge does that mean that your motivation is in line with what's actually better for the public now in this story um we already talked about it earlier yeah it turns out that actually what he's doing is actually helping but it's really just straight up revenge and that is the clear point he's going through killing all these people just out on the vengeance trail and so, I mean, I think for that primary reason, I would say that Deadpool in this film, at least, is not really a superhero. He's just this guy with a vendetta, and it kind of overshadows everything he does until, uh-oh, something backfires. His entire, like, his entire vengeance then actually gets Vanessa caught, caught up in the middle of it all. So, I mean, there's no real backlash for that, in the film, but I mean, if you really think practically about what went down, I mean, he almost got her killed because he didn't try to approach this from any other way that maybe wouldn't have gotten her put in a tube on the top of an exploding ship. Right. You know, if, if again, here's where the comedy comes in because we've all seen revenge films, right? And so we're almost not looking for this film to make a point about revenge at all. We're just looking for it to do something funny. And that's sort of what it does. It sort of says, like, you have the Colossus figure that, like every other figure, tells the lead character, you're not going to feel any better by doing this. 
And then you have Wade Wilson just being like, you know, F that. I'm going to do it anyways. You know, like, yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of the point of the character. Cool. So this is, no, so here we're going to move on to our third question. And in other podcasts, I've actually asked this question first. But in this movie, it is so far removed that I almost feel like you have to go through all the other questions before you can get a feel for what um, this, both the storytellers and Deadpool as a character have a worldview, what shapes their worldview. And so this last question is, what are the storytellers telling us is true about spirituality? And it feels like a question that we've really got to sort of back ourselves into because it doesn't make any you know, like we've seen some Zack Snyder films recently where the characters will actually just tell you their worldview. Um, and, and, and like this character, you really got to kind of figure it out. So question is, what are the storytellers telling us is true about spirituality? And the first topic would be uh, the afterlife. What do you think? Yeah. So here's my entire notes for the afterlife. None. I'm watching this film, and, like, if I watch the X-Men film, I'm thinking, like, like you've got X-Men 2. You've got Nightcrawler, who is a very devout Christian character who always talks about the need for faith. And in the last film, X-Men Apocalypse, you've got this guy who used to be an Egyptian god, which doesn't, uh, you know, speak very well for ancient religions and what they thought was a god figure. But there's, like, some type of right and wrong in the universe. But, like, I watched Deadpool, and life must not seem to have much meaning if it can go away as easily as it does in this film. Mm. It all seems to be a very kind of nihilistic fun experience. You know, they always describe um, existentialism as nihilism with a smile. And that's kind of how I look at Deadpool is it's, it's this very kind of bleak world where it really doesn't matter what you do. And if, it, if that doesn't matter, then you must not have to worry about anything in the afterlife. Yeah, no, that's 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 totally true. And in the one case, they they break that rule because I I agree with you 100. percent That's kind of so. Here's where I would characterize it because I know that there's one line where Wade says that he'll find Vanessa in the next life or something to that effect, right? Oh, you're right. I totally remember. He'll find her and like pull out the record and say and play Wham. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> And I think, so I think here's, here's kind of my take on that. I feel like, so I feel like Deadpool, if I were to characterize him is not, he's not an atheist, right? He's not saying that there isn't an afterlife that everything like that, that, but what he is, is sort of more of an agnostic person who just says, look, we can't know anything. So who cares about anything? Everything around us doesn't really matter. There's an indication that death, might matter but no one really cares whether or not it matters right like there's no thought right. to whether or not it matters like they even have a dead pool to see who's going to die next and they're betting on and then, and then he instigates fights so that somebody might so i, I agree with you 100 percent. it's sort of like a well we're just going to live and nothing really ultimately matters i, I felt the same yeah. way um and did you feel how what did you think about the impact of evil as it relates to this movie. So I always like, um, I, whenever I think about the impact of evil in any film, I think back to when I was an undergrad taking an advanced screenwriting class and we had a guest instructor say that there is a God of every, every film, every television show you watch. There's some type of, uh, like, and the idea behind that was that there's a God who sets the rules in this universe. The example given would be, for example, uh, when you watch Friends, 
Clearly, nobody gets an STD, even though Joey sleeps with more <laughs> women than he's had hot meals. If you lie to your friends, you get in trouble. So the god of that universe has decided that sexual promiscuity is okay, but uh, you know, lying to your friends is not. And so I always think about it as like, what are the rules that govern a certain universe? So when you watch an action film and the villain's about to win, but oh no, that like piece of rope that was earlier frayed is now breaking and all of a sudden the villain gets crushed by this, you know, thing that was hanging above him. And so the god of that universe has decided to let these events unfold in a way where it leads to that person's demise. Look at it in that way, I see that uh, this film, you've got characters who gets to live and who gets to die. So um, for the most part, it's if you're evil, you're gonna die. Like, it's just the way it's going to happen. Unless, like, somehow you're an evil guy who turns out to be friends with Wade, the one guy, the one mercenary guy at the end of the film that Wade doesn't kill. The one guy he recognizes, he just headbutts him. And then, um, otherwise, Ajax dies. Now, this is what throws um, kind of a problem with that whole, if you're evil, you die, is that Angel Dust doesn't die. In fact, she gets saved. In fact, mm. all the women get saved. And mm. so it very much is like, if you're an evil guy, then you die. If you're a woman, well, it's up for grabs. That is a very insightful answer. I didn't have that insightful of an answer at all. I just kind of felt like, man, there's really, it's almost less about whether or not there's an impact to evil. And it's almost more the question of really like saying like, eh, is there even such a thing as evil? Um, is almost more the question that I feel like the movie's asking. Yeah, but no, you're. I, I, I'm just gonna leave it at your answer because that was way better than what I have. <laughs> uh, last part of the question: What does the movie have to say about our innate desire to be godlike? What was your take on that? Man, that one was a tough one for me. I mean, still, like, it doesn't. Again, like the role of God in this kind of seems kind of kind of not really addressed that much. But when it comes to that, I would say, I mean, there is something. I mean, if you kill somebody, you're doing, you're taking life. So you are in some way doing something that is beyond what humans should be doing. And so there is that part. But I mean, for me, I would look at it more of this guy's aware he's in a movie. Like he's aware he's in a movie. He breaks the fourth wall. There's this awareness that he's a, a fictional character. And this actually is pretty common in the comics too. He'll occasionally break away and start talking to the comics page. And like people think he's crazy, but he's fully aware that he's in a comic book. Right. Right. Like there's even like during like this massive like superhero event, like in other uh, comic books, when they did the Civil War event, Spider-Man reveals his, uh, who he is to the world. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, it's Peter Parker. And then so Deadpool in the midst of that arc says the world just found out that Spider-Man is actually Peter Parker. But we all know who the real Peter Parker it's the charming Tobey Maguire, but he's very aware of who he is. Whether he's actually in control of that, even though he's aware of all that, is a different question. And I guess that's where, when I return to the, like what our desire to be godlike, I it, maybe that does play into his agnosticism because like he's just aware of it, but he still has no control. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's totally accurate. It's it's sort of like it's sort of like we're all even from the time we're, we're, we're born, there is a desire to be better at what we want to be better at. There's a desire to be uh, living as long as we can live. There's a desire to be more intelligent, stronger, better looking, whatever it is, we desire to be uh, sort of the best of the best. 
uh, in a way, um, godlike. And I think you're right. I think he like he deals with that. Like he goes through that process of saying, like, well, I don't want to have cancer. I'd rather, you know, not have cancer. I'd rather have more powers. Uh, I'd rather uh, keep living, whatever whatever it is. I'd rather have really uh, strong relationships with other people. But at the end of the day, I think you're 100% right. Like that, uh, that agnosticism comes back to like, yeah, but we all know that's not going to happen. So who cares? There's quite a bit of truth to that as well. I think taken in, taken in either extreme, if you want, if you, if, if you don't combat your own desire to control everything, and I'll use that as a synonym for being godlike, um, that if you don't combat that, then you're going to be somebody that nobody else wants to be around because you're going to be a complete control freak and you're not going to think about other people. You're only going to think about yourself and how, you know, you know, they make you feel better. But on the other hand, if you go take the full Deadpool pool kind of perspective, which is that, yeah, but it doesn't really matter who cares, then, then you're creating a world wherein nobody else matters anyways. Um, so it does, it does seem like, this film is communicating not only do people do do uh, do the characters want to be godlike, but at the same time, there's so much futility in that, and it almost doesn't come up with a decision about it. It just sort of presents those two things as being like, here, these things are both true, and I think to a certain extent, those things are both true. Yeah. Um, the one other thing I wanted to mention, I I did think that there was one thing that Deadpool said in this movie um, that I felt like has so much truth to it and he's wade says it he says it's i can't remember how he says it but the impact of his cancer is basically worse on vanessa than it is even on him i just thought that that had a ton of truth associated with it like uh because i've seen some people go through some things and a lot of times it actually is harder on the families or the or the the relationships the friends than it even is on the person that's going through it. And I just want to throw that out there because I've forgotten to bring that up. Well, cool. That was a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you joining me for it. And uh, thanks, Tim. Yeah, thanks for having me. A couple final comments I wanted to make. The first is that Deadpool is rated R, and it does deserve that rating. It's not a superhero movie for kids, and it isn't trying to be. I just want to make sure that that's clear. Second, when I dig deeper into a film, particularly if I'm trying to discover what it has to say about spirituality, I'm always trying to figure out if the film leads me to be hopeful or hopeless. With this film, I do think that it has a good message about the pointlessness of vanity. And I do like that he offers help to societies marginalized. But beyond that, the movie is pretty hopeless. Deadpool himself makes two comments. Life is a series of train wrecks, and life is a shit show. And while I would agree with him, life certainly isn't perfect, and it is often a shit show, there's also more to life. I believe life matters. I believe spirituality matters. Imagine a world where all human beings were as selfish as Deadpool is. It's not a world that I would want to live in. And I think we need to ask ourselves the question, do these things really matter? Does life really matter? And if it does, what does that mean for us? I think we can all see hope in love, and even Wade Wilson sees that hope in his relationship uh, with Vanessa. 
So despite the fact that life can be a shit show, I think that there's something more, and I think it's important for us to show love to one another. I have a hope in love, and I believe that there's something bigger than me out there. I believe that we can know God through Jesus Christ, and that I don't have to hope in just a series of train wrecks, but I have to hope for something beyond the shit show. And I would encourage you to think about that. Like I mentioned earlier, we'd love to hear your thoughts on Deadpool. Please head over to www.reclamationsociety.org blog, find the Deadpool blog post, and leave us a comment. You can even tell me that I'm a complete idiot. Just don't be too mean if that's okay. And if you haven't listened yet, be sure to check out our last podcast where George Traxon and I explored the truth of Zack Snyder's film, Man of Steel. That was really fun. Um, if you do head over to the blog, please let us know what movie you'd like to hear us discuss, that you'd like to discuss with us. And then next up, we'll have a series on Nolan's Batman trilogy. So be sure to subscribe. You don't want to miss out on that. And until next time, keep exploring the truth. And thank you for listening.